for this opportunity to, to share your word. I thank you for each person who is here today. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Well, several years ago, there was a, there was a popular worship song. Maybe some of you uh, sang the song or remember it. Um, it, was called, um, it was called The Heart of Worship. And uh, it was about refocusing our worship on God. But the irony is, is that it used the first personal pronoun over and over again, I. And so it said, uh, you know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Uh, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. Uh, I will bring you more than a song. So throughout this song, the, the irony, there, there's a place to talk about the self before God, obviously. But the irony of the song was it was supposed to focus us on God and throughout it, it was about kind of me. And Thomas Burglar, a Christian writer, writing about this said, you know, it's, it's kind of a metaphor for how difficult it is in contemporary culture. As he says, the relentless grip on this self focus that's part of contemporary culture that sort of have made its way into the contemporary church that even while we're trying to focus on God we're singing about ourselves now when Jesus teaches us to pray he begins by teaching us to have a God-centered focus a God-glorifying focus and he tells his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, do not pray like the hypocrites pray. They're hypocritical because although they look outwardly like they're praying to God, their concern is that other people see them. You see, so they're really interested in gaining glory, using God, using prayer to gain glory for themselves as people see their their prayers as they stand and pray. So he says, you're not to be like a hypocrite. And also, you're not to be like the, the pagans, the, the, the Gentiles. They have a superstitious view of prayer. And they think the more, there's a technique to this, and the more that they pray, the more that they heap up words, then God, they'll get God's attention. He says, no, that's not it either. Now, don't be religiously hypocritical. And don't be superstitious and pagan in your prayers. Then he just gives a very simple way to pray. Which we call the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, say this. And um, it starts with a concern for the glory of God. Yes, we are to pray for our needs. That comes at the second half. But first we start with the glory of God. And the point is, is that as we begin to think about our needs... We do that in the context of wanting to glorify God. And so let's just look today. We, we, last week I talked about prayer and approaching God in prayer as our Heavenly Father and the significance of that for prayer. And then today I'm, I'm just going to talk about the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And then next time, now I won't be here next week. Luke will be here next week. We'll be, half of us are going to be on a retreat. And during that retreat, I'm going to talk about prayer as well. And then I'll come back the following Sunday and finish out the second half of the Lord's Prayer where we talk about praying to God about our needs. But today, just that first 
half of the Lord's Prayer, these first three petitions that start with, Hallowed be thy name. When we pray, Hallowed be thy name, we're praying that God's name would be honored as holy. That God's name would be understood and revered as holy. What does it mean to call God holy? Well, we can think of another church song. We can think of the great hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Written, by the way, by an Anglican bishop. And in that, in that uh, great hymn, Holy, 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 he says that God is, remember it, perfect in power, love, and purity. That's a good definition of holiness. Perfect. He's lacking nothing. Perfect in power, love, and purity. That's God. We are not perfect in power, love, and purity. And if you're tempted to think that you are, if anybody, I doubt that anybody here thinks they are, but if you're tempted to think you are, you're probably not going to like us very much. We will disappoint you. Only God is perfect in power, love, and purity. And that's why He is worthy of praise and his name is worthy to be hallowed. He is separate from us in this sense. He is other. And that's at the heart of a biblical definition of holiness. The otherness of God. And so it's his name that ought to be hallowed, not ours. So Psalm 115 one says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. And that's one reason we worship together. One way that this prayer is answered is that we gather together as the people of God to praise his holy name. To praise who he is. The name stands for the character. And, and so we are, in a sense, fulfilling in, in a partial way this petition. When we gather together on the Lord's Day to pray to him to glorify Him, to sing to Him, to hear of His marvelous works, we are hallowing the name of God. And as we sincerely pray this first petition, our concern personally, our, our, our growing concern in our personal life will be to bring glory to the name of our God. If I am... A Christian, if I call myself a Christian, I've taken the name of Christ. If I'm a baptized Christian, I've been baptized in the triune name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is my God. That is His name. And I don't want to take His name in vain. And so, as I pray this petition... Sincerely, and I really think about the words, I, I grow to desire to glorify the name of God in my work, in my vocation, in the moral choices that I make. I will want to glorify the Lord in the way that I relate to other people. Exactly what that guy's saying over there. He's got it right. I want to glorify God in, in all that I do, in all that I, even in my suffering and in my sorrow. If I am 
praying this petition regularly, if this is part of my prayer life, that's going to seep in. How am I going to glorify God? How can I, God, glorify you through this? Because his name is worthy to be glorified. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but your name. We want to glorify him in our church and in our family and all aspects of our life. The second petition is thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Now, Jesus, I mean, this was at the heart of Jesus' message, the idea of the kingdom of God. And he announced in his preaching and teaching the coming of the kingdom of God. And so when he began his ministry, it says back in Matthew chapter 4, right when he began his ministry, he began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was saying to people, through me, the Messiah, God's kingdom is breaking into the world, turn from sin, turn from self, turn from the direction of life you're going and embrace me. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was Jesus' message. And he demonstrated in his ministry the power of the kingdom of God breaking into the world through him. And so, uh, not only was it his message, but it was his ministry that demonstrated that he indeed was bringing in the kingdom of God. When he healed the sick and cast out demons. In fact, before the Sermon on the Mount starts, it says that Jesus was going all throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And so when we pray thy kingdom come, we are praying that people would, just as they did in the days of Christ, that people would repent of their sin and their selfishness and turn to Christ. They would forgive, they would, they would receive the forgiveness of sins and they would make Jesus the Lord of their life. We're praying that people, just as in the days of Jesus, would find healing and wholeness through Him. That they would be transferred out of a realm of spiritual darkness and deceit into the kingdom of light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's part of what we are meaning when we pray, Thy kingdom come and Thy will be done. And in an age where many people think what's really happening in the world is what's happening in politics. In a day when people are obsessed with what's happening in the political realm, we need to remember that God's kingdom is not political. We need to remember what Jesus said when he was facing Pilate. And what did he say? My kingdom is not of this world. And then he explained something. He said, if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would be fighting for me. He also said when he was arrested to one of his disciples who took up the sword and cut off a soldier's ear, what did he say? Put away your sword. Gave a reason. Those who live by the sword will perish by the sword. 
Hasn't that proven true throughout history? And haven't we seen when people make an idol out of politics, too often they turn to violence. And some of them justify it by saying things like, we're doing the will of God. When we pray for the kingdom of God, we're not praying about a particular political outcome. It's not to say that politics isn't important and it doesn't intersect in any way. I'm not saying that. But as Christians, we don't have to be so anxious like the rest of the world about what's happening in the political realm. God is king regardless of who's in the White House. God's kingdom is at work no matter what's happening in the political realm. It comes through Jesus. It comes through the gospel. And so when we pray thy kingdom come, we're praying that the hearts and minds of men and women and boys and girls of all nations and all political persuasions would come to live under the gracious rule of God. And as their hearts and minds are changed by the gospel, their lives will change. Their families will change. The culture will change. And God will be glorified in that. And we look forward when we pray this petition to the day where Christ will reign fully and finally. What about change in us? As we pray, thy kingdom come, the question might arise. What about in our life? Where do I need to submit more fully to the reign of God in my life? Think about those virtues that we read about in Colossians. These virtues where Paul says that we as Christians, as those who bear the name of Christ, ought to put on these Christ-like attitudes. Things like kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And above all, putting on... These are the Christian characteristics that we are called to embody as we let God rule and reign over our life and make changes in our attitudes and thoughts and emotions, trusting that he's a good king and he knows what he's doing in our life. Paul Miller, in his book on prayer, he says, now this is a prayer that Christians are afraid to pray. See if you're afraid to pray this prayer. God, make me more humble. We're afraid to pray it because he might humble us. God, make me more patient. He says, that's another scary prayer. <laughs> because God might let you go through some difficult things to teach you patience. And, and Miller makes this point. He says, now the problem is, is that we want to maintain control over our life. And we don't trust the goodness of the king. So we're afraid to pray those kinds of prayers that go to change in our life. But do we trust the goodness of our king? He gives an example of his granddaughter, Claire, who came into the house one day. And granddaughter Claire, little, I don't know how old she was, he doesn't say, but she was a, a little child, must have been. And she said to the grandma, Grandma, I'm having a terrible day. And she was grumpy because she was having a terrible day. And the grandma said, uh, Paul Miller's wife said to the granddaughter, Well, because of Jesus, you can start your day over. Every day you can start your day over because of Jesus, if you ask him to help you. 
And Paul Miller said, well, that's almost heresy in the modern world. Because what my wife was saying was that your feelings don't define you. You're not not captive to your feelings. And, and, And the modern world has made an idol out of our feelings. And in that, we're kind of chained. We're kind of locked in to what we feel is who we are. But if Christ is king, if the kingdom of God is at work, change is possible. Hope is possible. Transformation is possible through Christ who is bringing in and has brought in the kingdom of God. And so to pray thy kingdom come, that's a, that's a radical prayer. That's a prayer talking about transformation and change at a large scale and even in our life. And then, then the prayer is, um, your will be done. The third petition, your will be done. Again, this is God-centered, isn't it? We're praying... That his will, not ours, be done. And Jesus is the great example of this in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Before he faced the cross. Before he faced the suffering. He agonized in the garden. And he went to his father. Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. For you. If it's possible, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Great example. The ultimate example of this living out this third petition. And I want you to notice something that Jesus' strong belief in the sovereignty of God, in the plan of God, that this was God's plan for him to go to the cross for the redemption of the world. I want you to notice something here, that Jesus' strong belief in the sovereignty of God did not prevent him from petitioning God and going to God as his Abba Father. God is sovereign. God is also Abba Father. And so before Jesus enters into his passion, he's not a fatalist. What will be, will be as he faces the cross. No, he... He wrestles with God in prayer through the night, agonizing over this. He wrestles with God. But then in the end, he submits to the will of God because he trusts in the goodness of his Abba Father. And after the suffering, there's resurrection and glorification. But sometimes we can overthink prayer. If God is sovereign and all-powerful, and he is, then why am I praying, your will be done? Have you ever thought that? Something like that? If God is, is sovereign and all-powerful, then ultimately his will will be done. So why am I, little old me, praying, thy will be done? It's going to happen. The Bible brings two things together about God's character here that, at least with my little mind, I cannot fully comprehend. But both things are true. God is absolutely sovereign, which is great news. Because in the end, evil does not have the last word. Resurrection does. 
new creation. Complete justice. In the end, God triumphs. He's sovereign. That's good news. But also, he's Abba Father, who calls us through Christ to come to him in prayer. And he hears and he answers the prayers of his children. He's a a God that responds to the prayers of his children. He's sovereign. He's Abba Father who's responsive to the prayers of his children. How those things work together exactly is above my prayer. There's smarter people who've wrestled with this and I can point you to their books. (laughs) Or I can introduce you to them because some of them are in our congregation. But I, here's, and, and, and if you're wrestling with it, I do want to help you with that. But here's, here's something that I've come to learn. is like, I don't have to understand it all to know that it works. I've got this thing in my pocket called an iPhone. I don't know how it works. I mean, I can tell you, I, if I can talk about uh, coding and electronic circuitry and kind of mumble about that for a little bit. But that, beyond that, that's it. That's all I've got. I use it. I don't know how the computer works very well. Again, I can kind of babble a little bit about it, but I don't need to know how it works to use it. Now, the people who make it, they need to know how it works, obviously. But I don't need to know how it works to know that it does work. And um, I could talk to you about answers to prayer, and sometime I will. Well, we could all probably go around and talk about answers to prayer. I don't know exactly how our petitions and God's perfect sovereign world will interact for His glory. God does. He's the maker. But He just calls us, invites us through Jesus to trust Him and pray. And so, I, I want to invite you this week to use the Lord's Prayer as an outline for prayer if you don't normally do that. It's a good way, and especially my... My desire is that for Christians who have fallen out of the habit of daily prayer or it's not part of your daily habit, I really want to, to help you progress in this. And I want to encourage people who are making that a priority in their life. But to use the Lord's Prayer as an outline for your prayer. And as you pray about the concerns of your life, your own life, or people in your life, or the world, or the culture, that you can use this as an outline, as a kind of grid for bringing these things before the Lord. God, that your name might be hallowed, that your kingdom might come, that your will might be done in my life or for this person or for this situation. And pray with a concern for the glory of God and see what surfaces, see what the Holy Spirit surfaces as you pray to God like that. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, He wrote a letter to his barber. Get this. He wrote a letter to his barber about prayer. His barber, I guess, asked Luther, the pastor, you know, I need some help with prayer. And so Martin Luther, we have this letter to Peter, his barber, about prayer. And he's instructing this barber how to pray and talking about his own prayer life. And Luther said that he uses the Lord's Prayer over and over. And he said, he said, as an old man, I I drink and eat the Lord's Prayer, and I can never get my, my fill of it. And, and he said um, this, and I'm going to read you some of the things that he said. 
He said that the Lord's Prayer is not meant to be just mindlessly chattered and babbled with no real devotion. But when you pray the Lord's Prayer, he says, let your mind be stimulated and your heart be stimulated as you pray about the glory of God. And see what the Holy Spirit does in that. He says, these thoughts should grasp you as you pray. And he said, sometimes I can't even get past the first petition. <laughs> but he said, um, you need to give room to those thoughts because... That's when the Holy Spirit is preaching. He said the divine spirit is preaching and that's better than a thousand prayers. Just stay with what the spirit is talking to you about as you pray through the Lord's prayer. See what surfaces. As we focus on the glory of God in our prayer life. See what surfaces. Last week I heard a, a sports writer talk about uh, attending the Hall of Fame. He, he is a, sport, a veteran sports writer and he's got a vote when it comes to the Hall of Fame for NFL players. So he's been there several times through the years to watch these famous football players give their acceptance speech. And he said, now I don't go to these speeches at the Hall of Fame because I'm bored of them. And he said, the reason I'm bored of them is that when they get up there, they talk about themselves. And, and he even used the term self-glorification is kind of at the heart of so many of these speeches. And the Hall of Fame said to these players, you guys need to kind of tone it down and you've got five minutes or so to talk and then it's over. And he said, they don't, they don't listen. <laughs> they just go on and on. He said, now there are some who... Don't approach it that way. And he said, I find them very interesting because what they do is, yes, they've accomplished so much. But um, they talk about the people that helped them get to where they're at. And they talk about the larger purpose of the arc of their career. And he said, now that I find interesting. They're connecting their accomplishments to a larger purpose. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, that's, that's what Jesus invites us to when we pray. We're bringing our life and what he's given us to do into a much larger purpose, which is the glory of the eternal God. And it pulls us out of something that's kind of boring. And that's vanity, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said. Vanity of vanities. The self-promotion pulls us out of that into a story, an unfolding story, about the glory of God. And that gives great significance and worth to us as we pray that His name would be hallowed, that His kingdom would come, and that His will would be done. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for teaching us how to pray. Help us to grow in this. Help those of us who find it difficult to pray, to take little steps in this direction. Help us, God, not to be motivated by guilt, but by a sense of, of what you're inviting us into, to participate in your unfolding glory. Holy Spirit, as we do pray, do a work in our hearts and minds to make us more like Christ. I pray this for His glory. Amen.